I really felt like the Lord was leading us into a book series or a book study. And I wanted to share with you what our new series is today. And I'll tell you a little bit about it. And then we'll go right into that first message. The title of the series is this, Organic. It's a study through pastoral epistles. Now, that's an old school word that basically means letters. But let me ask you this. Have you ever eaten something organic? Okay. How many of you really enjoyed it? A couple hands. Okay, good. How many of you noticed the difference between the taste, though, between like those things that are not organic versus organic? Definitely. There's a taste difference. And even though we've been, you know, trying to eat healthy in 2021 and whatever, that's not exactly the meaning that we're going for here. The primary meaning of that word organic, actually, the primary definition would be related to or derived from living matter, something that is alive. That is what the truest definition is that we're going to be using. And the context of it is this. The church is not these four walls. It is a living organization that is breathed into existence by God himself to cause unity between those who are his family and to actually change the world. So when we say, I'm going to church on Sunday, there's nothing wrong with that. You're coming to a location. We get that. But we really do need to make sure that we're training our mind to understand that the body of Christ meets in a building, but the church is not the building. And this is a good safeguard because at some point, a tornado could take the building. The church would still be here. Here in this city, the church would still be here. Because it is you and it is me. So we're going to go through three books of the Bible. They're short ones. Don't roll your eyes at me or get, get uh, memories of Leviticus in your mind. Um, if, if you're new to us and haven't been here for a while, I did like a 37-week series on Leviticus. Um, but it was awesome. Okay, I really, really enjoyed it, and I learned so much. Anyway, so don't be scared. We're not going to do that. But we are going to cover these three letters that Paul wrote. He wrote to Timothy and to Titus. These guys were basically um, pastors and leaders in churches, and he was writing them encouraging words to help them stay the course or to hold fast in the midst of whatever they were facing, their different scenarios or situations they were facing. So these three books were written to leaders in churches, and all of them communicate this thing that we'll talk about repeatedly, and that is unity. Everybody say that word with me today, unity. Say it with me, unity. So unity is not uniformity, but unity is a separate thing. And we'll talk all about the definition of that and what that should look like in the body of Christ. But these books serve as a practical guide for the function of the church, which is you and me. So we're going to dive into some of these things this morning. Go with me to 1 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to be starting in verse 3. And the title of today's message is, wait for it, False Teachers. So, 
we here at Celebrate Church definitely believe that we should be believing the gospel, reading the gospel, knowing the gospel, and even more than that, not just knowing it, but also perceiving challenges to it. Because there's a lot of weird stuff in the world. Hello? There is a lot of weird stuff in the church. So we're going to talk about this. I'm going to teach you today, hopefully, how to spot one and then what to do about it when you see them and when you know that they're influencing people that you love. Look at what verse 3 says in 1 Timothy chapter 1. He says this, As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. Verse 4, nor to devote themselves to myths or endless genealogies which promote speculation rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. So right there, he's encouraging Timothy, don't veer off course. There are going to be some weirdos who talk about who's related to who. And I'm a great, 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 great grandson of Abraham. And you should listen to me. And what I don't listen to that stuff. He's trying to tell Timothy to make sure that he doesn't veer off course, but also that he leads the sheep that are there in the church in the same direction. Look at verse 5. It says this, The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. How many of you have ever been sincerely wrong? <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, like, you really thought you were right, and then it came to, like, light, and you're like, wow, I was... So, sincerity isn't all that's there. Having a sincere faith, yes, but also a good conscience and a pure heart. Look at what else he says. He says in verse 6, certain persons have swerved from these. They've wandered away into vain discussions, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they're saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. I love how Paul puts this. He's basically saying there are some people who are stupid and they don't know they're stupid and they're going to tell you stupid things, but they're going to sound really good. That's, that's what he's saying. Without understanding either what they're saying or the things about which they're making these confident assertions. Look at verse 8. Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient. For the ungodly, for the sinners, for the ungodly and profane. It goes on to say, for those who strike their fathers and mothers. Ooh, let my child hit me. Mm. I'm going to show them 1 Timothy 1.9. Okay, look. It says here, for murderers. We only have two children in the room today, but pay attention, okay? It says, who strike their fathers or mothers. So never hit mommy or daddy, okay? 
And then it literally, the very next thing, it says murderers, which it's weird to get them all lumped in there, but disrespect is, is a big deal. So here Paul is telling him, hey, you better stay put where you are. There's some troublemakers there. They're kind of wacky. And I want you to be on guard against them and help the people in that city. So he's warning Timothy about these false teachers who are seeking to deceive and attempt to make the church, listen to me church, they are attempting to make the church ineffective. You say, well, maybe there's some people that just have a real, uh, you know, honest misunderstanding or they misread the scripture and they're talking about it. Yes, that could be true. But in the deepest, darkest places of the enemy's kingdom, his desire is to thwart or to stop the movement that God has going. So this is really important for Timothy. And you might say, well, you know, pastor, I'm not a leader in the church. I, I've just been here a couple of weeks. You know, I, I've never been in a leadership position. Does this apply to me? Yes, because if you are a believer, you must know how to be able to spot the difference. I really believe uh, in this message. I've got some strong statements. So just be ready They're, They might be for you. They might be for somebody else. But I believe that the global church specifically the American church, has lacked backbone in dealing with false teachers. We've let them run, I hate to make it sound like this, but we've let, let them run amok and do damage and sell best-selling books about, can I go there, about blood moons and about looking at the stars and about if you give X amount of money to God, he's going to give you this back. We've let them run amok with all this weird stuff and it makes all of us look bad. I've told you before, this is a Pentecostal church. We believe in the fullness of the Holy Spirit today, but you can't catch me in this community saying those words out loud. You know why? Because it has a different connotation to people. And I just want to tell you, there are some Baptists in this city who are full-on secret Pentecostals. And I know some of them. Praise God. <clears throat> just so you know. We'll talk after church if you want to know their address. I'm just kidding. But we've got we've to train ourselves to be able to recognize them. And then to not just recognize them for what they are. But then to limit or eliminate and remove their influence. Here it is. I'm telling you, the more I preach and the more length of time I've been in ministry, the more simple it gets. You ought to read your Bible. You ought to pray. You ought to go to church. I'm going to say it every single week in some form or fashion. It's not going to be redundant because some of us keep missing it. But the way to spot a false teacher is to know God's word. So go back to the first message in the last series. Read your Bible. When you read your Bible, you'll know that God is not a she. Okay? You, right? I had a lady meet me in Walmart at some point. I was looking at the socks, trying to pick out some socks. And she came up and handed me a pamphlet telling me about the goddess in heaven. No, I'm sorry. That's, that's not what this is about. So I'm, I, I know how to spot the difference. And I think I do at least based on God's word. And I want to show you how to do that today. Here are the top 10 characteristics of false teachers. Number one is this. I don't know how many is going to be on the screen. There you go. Five. Okay, here we go. 
teaching false doctrines. So they teach stuff that is not in the Bible. The second thing is, in those days, and Paul addresses it in 1 Timothy as well as 2 Timothy, they taught Jewish myths. Now, this is basically, if you think about it, the marriage or meshing of some weird stuff from ancient days into the new stuff today. It was a hybrid religion that they were teaching. Paul addresses this, that there are people who didn't even know the Old Testament, but they wanted to be teachers of the Old Testament law. They wanted to be, what did we talk about last week? We said this, you are not the police, right? They wanted to be the police. They wanted to be the teachers of Old Testament law. Look at what number four is. They, they built lies and whole stories on these obscure genealogies of so-and-so was related to so-and-so. And now that they're there and we're here, then they did this and we, and we should listen to what their grandfather said. No, don't get off track. That's a bunch of weird stuff and it's not that complicated. Number five, Paul says a characteristic is being conceited. How would you define conceit? That would be someone who is filled with pride. Someone who's conceited. Now look at the next five on the next screen. Number six, being argumentative. Let's be careful though. Just because you know someone who's argumentative does not mean they're a false teacher. They might just be argumentative, (laughs) unfortunately. Number seven, meaningless and foolish talk. Talking about things that don't really matter When what matters most in our religious understanding is that God made you, he loves you, he saved you, and he wants to be with you forever. If it doesn't, if it doesn't harp on those four aspects, then it's meaningless and foolish. He says another characteristic is their ignorance. They don't really know what they're talking about. Have you ever talked to somebody who seemed like they knew what they were talking about and then later you found out they had no idea? I'm telling you, it's confidence. It's just the confident delivery sometimes that makes you go, wow, that's what these people were good at, but they were ignorant. Number nine might be the weirdest word you've ever heard or seen, okay? They were teaching ascetic practices, You didn't go to seminary, so you might not know what this is, but here's the definition of ascetic. Ascetic would mean no pleasure. So they had people teaching like a monk-style observance of the law to all of the believers saying, you can't have any pleasure in your life whatsoever. God doesn't want you to ever experience happiness. They were teaching that to people. And then number 10, another one, is using their position for financial gain. So they were using their religious leadership positions for financial gain. I listened to a song the other day. Um, well, I won't go there. It's too hard and too long of a story to tell you. It's fine. Anyway, it just it harped on the fact that in culture, in modern day culture, we've seen this happen. We've seen those who were in Christendom, in Christianity, on the screen of TV because they were on the news because they're going to jail. They robbed the church or they, you know, whatever it is. And so using their position for financial gain. Here's the deal. It didn't just happen then. Those same characteristics are true today. 
So that was then and this is now, but not a lot has changed. I want to share with you and listen, if you have a problem with what I'm about to share with you, you don't, you're like, I don't know if I have a problem with it or not. If you want to discuss it further, I am happy to provide you resources, but I am going to tell you what I truly believe are false teachings at work today in the body of Christ. And some of us may have given in to them at some point and listened to them or believe them. The first one is this, hyper grace. You say, well, pastor, what's that? I don't know if I'd know that term. The term hyper grace is something that helps us kind of just roll it all into one. But here's what it really is. It's sloppy grace. It's I can do anything I want to and God still loves me and I'll still get to heaven kind of mentality. And so I I had this thought that unconditional love is interpreted as unconditional acceptance and approval of one's lifestyle. That's, that's what this really is about. Yes, God loves you unconditionally, but he loves you enough to not leave you the way you are. And I got to say, you better get there quick. <laughs> I love my kids unconditionally. I can honestly tell you Right now, even though I haven't experienced it, if one of my children went to prison, I would still go and visit them. I love them unconditionally, but I do not approve of every one of their behaviors and choices. Sometimes we get off track and we make God super complicated instead of thinking about it in real terms that God is the same way. That God loves unconditionally and he reaches out and he reaches out. But we'd be stupid to think that he's always pleased with our choices. Right? Okay, moving on. <laughs> so hyper grace, it's preached in, uh, in churches around America, definitely. But it's also infiltrated the kingdom of God worldwide. Uh, you can definitely hear messages about it on TV any given Sunday. The second is this, and this is going to hit a few of you, social justice. This is a false teaching at work in the church today. You say, well, wait a second, pastor. The missionaries just said that we got to care for the orphan, reach the widow. We've got to pay, you know, help with the needy and the poor and care for them. All of those things are good and biblical, but when we focus so much on those things, we end up neglecting the actual gospel that Jesus didn't come to give you groceries. He came to save your soul from hell. Meanwhile, there's a real truth. People will not listen to the message of the gospel if they've got a hungry stomach. So there's a mixture. You, you've got to help You've got to do those things, but we've got to be careful not to focus on the wrong thing or highlight the wrong thing. We've got to be careful because we can veer off into here's what it is, the secret behind it that's lurking there, that's authorized by the enemy is a works-based salvation. Well, every weekend I serve at the soup kitchen. So Jesus loves you more. Okay, I'm preaching this to a church that isn't here. That's good. I'm really glad. Let's go to the third one. The third one is this, and this is tough. If you thought those two were. Everybody go, oh. 
Oh. Mm-hmm. Just like that. Good job. I'm going to give you two distinct, unrelated examples. But I believe that there's a false teaching that has been in the church for years and years due to the influence of the enemy. And it's risen to real popularity in these two examples. The first example, parents, I'll tell you this. I'm going to give the first example is interfaith dialogue. The second example is going to be PG-13. So if you'd like to get up and move out with your child for just a moment, you can. The first one, interfaith dialogue. Our culture has chosen to submit to the religion of Islam. There's pressure on the church to follow suit. It's not just Islam, it's all other world religions. And we've got to stand in opposition to this. There's a popular rising thought that all people of all faiths worship the same God. But I've got a newsflash. That's not true. The God that the Muslims serve is not the God that I know. The gods that the Hindus serve do not behave, do not have the character traits, are not the same eternal God that I serve. So we've got to understand that even though there has been some talk about, well, we're going to have an interfaith dialogue between this Catholic priest and this Christian pastor and this Muslim, whatever, leader of a church, leader of their mosque. And we're going to sit on a platform and we're going to talk about the similarities of our faith and all of those things. And we're Abrahamic religions. Garbage. Listen to me. It's garbage. And here's what it's doing. It's picking off the weak. Giving these other religions and these leaders time with our people, the people of God, is a sin. It should not be tolerated. It's dangerous because, sometimes, because even in our church, we've got weak believers. You might be one of them. And you might be very easily swayed into something else as a result of not being anchored firmly enough. You will not find that in our church. You will not find an invitation to someone who leads a different religion or from a different uh, sort of setting like that to come and have time on this platform. Not while I'm your pastor. And hopefully not while it bears the association that it does with the Assemblies of God. Because we don't do that stuff. The second example is this, and it has to do with sexual preferences. Including but not limited to open marriages Sexual promiscuity, unmarried couples living together, homosexuality, lesbianism, despite the Bible's opposition to these things. I have a dear brother who pastors a church in North Carolina who has no problem whatsoever allowing people who have a different preference to join a ministry team in his church. I love that brother. I pray for him. I hope he changes his mind. I don't see how that's beneficial to us in the audience who are worshipers. And I don't see how it's beneficial to that person. Because I can find 10 other people to pluck a guitar string. And surely one of them loves Jesus and has changed their life in order to mirror that Christ-like image. Again, I'm preaching to some people who aren't here, but that's okay. We've allowed these things to go unchecked. 
I've had some tough conversations with people in this church, in every church I've been in actually, having to do with, but pastor, we love each other and we did make a mistake and we've been together and he did move in or I did move in and now we want to get married. You know what I counsel couples to do? Move out. You're getting married in three weeks? Great. Move out. Stay away from each other for three weeks. Why? Why? Because we stand on the word of God. Surely, even if we don't understand it, he knows what's best for us. Amen? Come on, people. So we've got to see this for what it is. And we've got to be aware of it. And not only that, we've got to love others into the truth. I've got stuff to say about feelings, but I'm telling you, your, your feelings are garbage. And you say, well, pastor, that's rude, and you're, just, you're from New Jersey, and you're just being mean today. No, I'm telling you, your feelings are a lie a lot of the time. We talk about that in marriage. There are moments where I feel like my wife doesn't love me. Does she still love me? Yes, she does. I paid her $5 to say that. Yes, she does. But just because I feel a certain way, mm-hmm. we've been f- afraid to hurt people's feelings. And the devil has climbed onto a mountain of victory because of that. He's clawed himself right up there to the top thinking he's victorious because of that. And here's the truth. God's not afraid that your feelings will get hurt. He wants you to be whole, whole, and he wants you to be holy. And those who love him want you to be whole and holy. So this is a false thing that's been taught in the church that it's okay to do whatever you want to. It's okay, but it's not. Here we go, last one, and then we're going to go into a few verses of scripture before I close. This last one is word of faith or prosperity, the prosperity gospel. The truth is Jesus didn't die to make you materially rich. I wish he had. I wish he had given me salvation and a promise for a million dollars a year and a thing, you know, a great big house and a car that never breaks and a, but he, he didn't, he promised me salvation of my soul, but he promised me struggles here on this earth. On the opposite side of things, Jesus also doesn't make a universal demand that all of his people who believe in him are to be poor. Okay, so there's opposites with both sides of this, with this prosperity gospel that has been touted. The other side of it, it's kind of two intertwined things. The other thing would be about healing. There's this, what we called word of faith movement that really rose in popularity in the 50s, 60s, all the way up through the 90s. It's still around today. You've got a cold. You might be at death's door, feeling like you're at death's door with the flu symptoms or whatever. In Jesus' name, I'm healed. I'm whole. I'm better. I'm well. And you just say that and magically you are. Now I'm going to tell you, you doing that isn't the fix. You praying to the God of heaven who created your body, Lord, heal me, touch me, heal every part of me. That is what makes the difference. I can name it and claim it all day 
and hope I get a 10,000 square foot house and a Lamborghini in the driveway. But the better option is for me to get off my butt and to go get a job and come to church on Sundays. So somehow, and I think it's really hit, it went from America and it's hit other nations as a result because of capitalism. I'm not against capitalism, but somehow we've started intertwining capitalism from politics into the gospel of Jesus Christ and saying that, ooh, yeah, everybody's supposed to, no. And here's the deal. The image of a preacher or a church leader walking on a tarmac in a $5,000 suit with a $10,000 watch on to get on a private jet to go fly and preach somewhere doesn't leave a good taste in anybody's mouth. So the prosperity gospel is a false gospel. We've got to be aware of it. So should you tithe? More than the pastor's wife should say yes. Should you tithe? Yes. Yes. Should you make sure that your pastor is paid and taken care of? Please say yes. Okay. No. Any church you go to, should you make sure that you supply for your missionaries and that you do those things? Absolutely. I texted with a friend of mine. He pastors in Tennessee. He and I are really close. He's been here and preached before. His name's Chris Moore. Love him to death. And he said, man, I'm looking at a couple weeks off. And I said, really? I said, what's happened? He said, the leader in our churches up here in Tennessee told me he'd come and preach for me for four weeks and give me a sabbatical because I've been here so long and there's been a lot of, you know, crazy stuff. And so now it's just a crazy season that we need a real good break. What do you think? I said, go for it. You ought to do it. He said, well, he said, and then my board just said that uh, they, they talked to him and wanted to see if it was okay if they gave me a raise. I said, and what'd you say? He said, yes, okay. So here's the deal. And we can talk about this because we're casual like that. You should know I don't get paid a million dollars. I know I don't get paid a million dollars. What we do here, what we do here is important for the gospel's sake in our city and around the world. And none of us should profit off of it. None of us should go broke off of it either. But we should all obey. We should obey the word of God that says tithe and give generously. So if you've closed your eyes at night and prayed a prayer asking God for a million dollars, I'm the bearer of bad news. It's not coming unless you work for it. Okay? Go to 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2. Listen to what it says here. In writing to Peter, he says this, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresy, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. Look at verse 2, it says this, and many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. You say, Pastor, this is a hard message you preach. Just look at God's word. There's some strong language there. The apostle writing to his brother, his son in the faith, if you will, saying to Peter, Peter, this has been an age-old problem, 
and they've been around me, now they're going to be around you. But trust me, their condemnation from long ago is not idle and their destruction is not asleep. So how do we recognize a false teacher or a false teaching? Here's a few ways to do it. and Write these down quickly. It comes from a different source. Where does the message come from? Does it originate in God's word? That's really the big question. Okay, um, I, have, I have friends and relationships, I, I guess I should say acquaintances, uh, with people who are Mormons. I'm going to tell you the God's honest truth. Mormons are not Christians. I'm really sorry if that bothers you, but Joseph Smith and getting word from an angel and writing whole separate books to add to God's word, that ain't nowhere in the Bible. And I know that's really frustrating to hear. Some of us may have family members or people that we truly love and care for who are in that, that religion. But at the end of the day, that is not Christianity. We've got to help people see that the different source really leads them away from the truth. The next thing is this, a different message. I hit on this just a second ago, but what is the substance? Really, that's the question. What's the substance of the message. Is it Christ-centered or is it all about you? There's a famous guy on TV probably right now preaches from a really large church with millions of people who follow him and buy his books. There are good things he's done and good things he said. But if your whole message is all about me, and it's not about the power of Christ that can transform this loser of a man into something victorious, then you got the wrong message. So you've got to consider the source. You've got to consider the substance. Then the next thing you've got to do is consider the character. It's a different character. You say, well, what does this mean? What kind of people does the message produce? Because the word of God says that the people of God are to have goodness and kindness and self-control and perseverance and love and knowledge of the truth. These false teachers or the false teachers can be marked often by arrogance and by slandering others. The word of God actually talks about false teachers in 2 Peter and it says that they're experts in greed and that they despise authority. I've thought about this a lot this week because I was thinking about what I told you last week. And if you remember that small, obscure moment in service, we talked about the origination of church splits and people having to deal with pride and how that goes away, goes uh, not away, but it breaks apart people. I thought about this, the character of the individuals, if they despise authority or buck authority, Chances are they're not grounded in God's word. Number four, they have a different appeal. So really the question is why should you listen to this message? Are you being pointed like in this message today? Are you being pointed to scripture after scripture? Or are you being told to consult an ancient calendar or a red moon in the sky or angels or some other element of nature? Because we've got to be careful. 
some of the stuff out there in the four walls of Christianity seems a whole lot more like fortune cookies and a shaman with chicken bones than it does the word of God and the truth of who he is. And we've got to be careful. We've got to be careful. The true teacher asks this, what does God's word say about this? That's the question. It literally should be the question you ask your children when they have a a problem. It should be the thing that you talk with friends when they have issues in their life. What does God's word say about this? The false teacher is the one that asks the question, well, what do people really want to hear? There's another section of scripture, we'll go into it later in the series, about having your ears tickled by those things that you want to hear. The next thing is this, different fruit. What result does the message have in people's life? In 2 Peter, it actually talks about those who are the false teachers and following the false paths. It's like they're a spring without water. Do you know what that, do you, do you know what that would feel like to be thirsty for water, see an oasis or a well and get to it and that sucker be dried up? <laughs> I mean, man, that would be pitiful because they promise so much, but they deliver so little. This is exactly what happens with those who have that different fruit. So what result is taking place in the people's life? It's an extraordinary picture to think of that they promise much, but produce little. Second Timothy chapter four, verse 16 says this, and I'll invite the worship team to come. It says, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So if we're to recognize false teachers and false teaching by being students of God's word, we've got to know the truth, but then we've got to be prepared to defend the truth. Don't stay quiet, but know what you're talking about. (laughs) There's nothing worse than a loudmouth, stupid person. I'm so sorry. You thought this was going to be super spiritual, but I mean, really, right? Somebody who's just really loud, really confident and says absolute garbage. Don't be that person. Be the person who can defend the truth because you know the truth and it's settled in your heart and in your mind, in your spirit. Don't be naive. This is another tip. If it sounds too good to be true, not it possibly is, it is. If it sounds too good to be true. The point is this, that we're to grow up and to help others grow up too. I'm gonna read you two more verses as you stand today. I want you to hear the passion that Paul gives to the church at Ephesus, I want you to hear that today and let these words sink into you. Ephesians chapter four, verse 14. He's talking about the gifts of ministry in the church in verse 11 and 12. And then verse 14, he says this, so that we may no longer be children tossed back and forth by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine by human cunning or by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Verse 15, rather speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ.
What a challenge it is for us to stay on guard. But that's what we must do because we have a real enemy and there are real attempts out there to lead the church into the place of being ineffective. We must not let that happen to us because we are the church. Amen? Close your eyes with me and bow your heads. I'm going to pray a simple prayer over you today, but I, we always end with something similar, which is, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? Be careful because you may have thought about a friend who told you something wacky and you're like, yep, as soon as I get out of church today, I'm going to call them and tell them. Mm, that's not the right approach. What you should do is ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? How can I guard myself against false teaching? How can I lead in love the person who's struggling to understand the truth of your word? So pray that today as I pray over you. Heavenly Father, I thank you for Celebrate Church. I thank you for the call. I'm honored that you've called me into ministry to preach this gospel, this good news, the good news that you came to set us free and to lead us into life eternally with you. God, I pray that you would help celebrate church, stand strong in our doctrine, knowing the truth and letting it be the thing that sets us free, not being those children that get tossed to and fro in the waves and in the wind, but Lord, those who keep their eyes on you. Lord, help us to defend this faith that we hold so dear.